You are listening to the Nirvana podcast. Bonus episode one, Outcesticide. Hello everybody, welcome to the Nirvana podcast. My name is Sietse. And I'm Yuditja. Yes, welcome back. <laughs> yes. We are here again. Yeah, when we ended uh, the podcast, we told everybody, uh, please don't uh, unsubscribe just yet because we might do a comeback episode every once in a while if we feel like it and if we feel like uh, there's something to talk about that we haven't discussed before. Then we decided to do one. <laughs> and after that, it's really weird to News just kept piling up. Exactly. As if everybody knew that we were coming back for an episode. <laughs> yeah. Or or maybe the universe wanted us to come back for an episode. So. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> no? No. No. Okay. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So that's why all of a sudden we have uh, quite a lot of topics uh, on our list for uh, this episode. I'd like to propose to more or less cut it in two mm-hmm. and uh, start off with a lot of the uh, events from the news. And then uh, after that, uh, we're going to uh, execute our original plan. Yes. So how about that? And that original plan, spoiler, it's in the title of the episode. Oh, yeah. I, of course, I, I already mentioned it. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> For, first thing in the news that uh, I just saw, and we haven't even discussed it yet, is that if you want to, you can buy Kurt's Fender Mustang guitar that he actually uses in a Teen Spirit video. Oh, really? Yeah, it's oh. probably going to be sold for a little under a million dollars. So, Oh, do we have a, like a fundraiser we can start? Yeah, we should finally open up a Patreon page yeah. uh, so we can buy the guitar. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it, it's going to be uh, on sale for an, uh, for an auction. So, uh, right. yeah, somebody needed money, I suppose. <laughs> I guess. Is it, who, who had it? Do we know? Uh, I don't know. Hmm. And I can imagine that... In the world of auctions, they don't always um, disclose that. No, no, it's. But I haven't looked for it a- either. Maybe, maybe it's. It's sometimes common knowledge, but when it's from someone specific that auctions off a lot of things, then it's usually mentioned. But if it's just bits and bobs or just one guitar, then yeah, yeah, I'd be a secret. Yeah, my guess would be either Courtney or uh, Francis Bean. But uh, honestly, I don't know. No. Maybe some somebody who bought it before. Is going to sell yeah. it now. I, I don't know, but um, it was just fresh from the oh, from the news. Unfortunately, we also have some sad news uh, to discuss. First of all, the the passing of uh, Taylor Hawkins, yeah. the Foo Fighters drummer, which you know technically isn't Nirvana news. It must be a devastating blow for Dave Grohl, having gone through something like that in your band, and then having that again is uh, is horrible. Yeah, obviously. I I, re- I read a tweet that said. Um, can you imagine what it must be like to first be a drummer in a band, lose your frontman, start a new band in which you are the frontman, and then lose your drummer? It's yeah, that's it's bizarre. Yeah, uh, and it's, it's very sad, of course. It's it's very sad also for his own next of kin and for the band who was just starting a new tour. And um, the, I mean, it's never a good timing, but in this case, it's uh, extra devastating. I think that you losing somebody and then having to be back home and and yeah deal yeah, with that it's horrible yes yeah young young children as well uh, yeah i've read so uh yeah it's very uh very sad um by coincidence i just uh, started listening to uh, dave Grohl's uh, book right yeah uh, the storyteller. I, have it, uh, I have it uh on my list uh and downloaded an audible but i haven't uh, started it uh, yet so 
And are you going to read it or are you no, going to listen. listen to it? Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. yeah, he's reading it uh, himself. Exactly. That's why I want very, to listen. Very good job. It's a, it's a nice book. Nice. It doesn't go too deep. It's more like well, like, like the title says, a collection of stories and anecdotes. But in that, he also has some very sweet words for a lot of people. But he also really stresses his special connection to Taylor and right. calling him his, his best friend and Aww. being so grateful that they met. And it's so tragic to know that, that short after he wrote it and, and put out the book, he just passed away. So yeah. well. And of course, there are some interesting things uh, about his time uh, with Kurt in the book uh, mm -hmm. as well. Uh, I've selected one small piece of the uh, audiobook uh, from the final chapter in which uh, he describes a scene after a Foo Fighters show that, where he really breaks down in, in tears and really thanks all the people around him and also um, has some uh, thoughts about the people that aren't around anymore. So, um, yeah, I'd like to share that uh, with everybody. And Kurt. If only he could have seen the joy that his music brought to the world, maybe he could have found his own. My life was forever changed by Kurt something I never had the chance to say while he was still with us. And not thanking him for that is a regret I'll have to live with until we're somehow reunited. Not a day goes by when I don't think of our time together. And when we meet in my dreams, there's always a feeling of happiness and calm, almost as if he's just been hiding, waiting to return. Though they're no longer with us, I still carry these people in my heart everywhere I go. Yeah, I thought it was very, very sweet and very yeah. kind. Yeah, for sure. And um, yeah, I, I figured that not every Nirvana fan might read Dave's book because a, a lot of the stories aren't about his time no. in Nirvana. Uh, right. Um, well, on a more um, a brighter side, although it's, yeah, it's also a, a little bit dark. Um, we've both seen the, the Batman movie. Yes. And that has an... Nirvana connection as well. Yeah, for sure. After you saw it, you texted me. Uh, well, you said something like, the spirit of Kurt is <laughs> all over the movie. Yeah. What, what did you mean by that? Well, I think we, we discussed it in one of our podcasts when the trailer was released that they used something in a way, uh, in a beautiful way in the trailer. And turns out it's in a movie as well, but not just the song, but all of the music has been sort of connected to that sound uh, of that song. And the same goes, I think, for the way that Bruce Wayne is is shown. Uh, director of the movie also mentioned that he thought about Kurt Cobain a lot and gave that as sort of a, a note to the actor. It's the dark and gloomy side of Kurt, I would yeah, say. It's, it's quite one-dimensional. <laughs> yes. Pretty much everybody who knew him personally said, well, he was very funny and he was... Yep. He could be very sweet and very generous and stuff like that. And yeah. we don't see that at all. We only see like the gloomy, moody side of him. There is there is no fun in this movie whatsoever <laughs> on the side of, of Bruce Wayne or Batman. <laughs> no, or anybody else. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, but I, I do think that it's very well done the way they use the song. Yeah. Something in a way. It's really and, uh, beautiful. I think it became somewhat of a small hit song yeah. after, after the movie came out. So... I think it's really cool to realize that maybe they um, introduced Nirvana to a whole new generation or a whole new possible interested crowd. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think the nice thing is that although they did some orchestrations and, and some derivative music from it, 
they kept the spirit of the original. They kept large parts of the original. You hear Kurt singing, which I think is a plus when you think of all of the movies over the last couple of years that were released with covers of songs that weren't right. always the best or the most interesting. There was this time where in every, uh, every movie had a cover of a song, but then done in a slow and gloomy way. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so they, they totally changed it. They took a slow and gloomy song and then spiced it up. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely well worth it. And uh, I was pleasantly surprised, especially by uh, the use of the music. For sure. Yeah. Let's have a listen. That obviously wasn't Kurt singing, but uh, if you go to the movie, you will hear <laughs> Kurt sing uh, yeah. the song as well. So uh, so that was in the news. Unfortunately, we have another sad passing. In this case, uh, Mark Lanigan, yeah. um, singer of the Screaming Trees and later of the Mark Lanigan band, I think, and put out stuff in, uh, under his own name. Yeah, solo work. Good friend of, uh, of Kurt. Also, I think... Kurt started off as like a fan of Lanigan, right? Yeah, that's how they and met. And then they, they became friends and, and were pretty close fl- friends. Unfortunately, sometimes also due to their drug abuse. But I think the friendship was genuine. And I think one of the things about Mark Lanigan is that he was one of the last people that was phoned by Kurt uh, just before he died. I think we talked about that in the past as well something that he described in one of his books um so they were uh, they were really close and and worked together obviously they did yeah. uh, a couple of songs together as well under the name of the the jury yep that uh, recorded four songs i think uh, mostly uh lead belly uh, covers yep. um but also um kurt um, played on uh, mark lanigan's solo album and actually that's quite a good segue <laughs> to uh the uh, our main theme our main topic of the episode because um i first heard this song on a outsesticide bootleg cd yes it's uh, down in the dark from uh, uh, Mark Lennigan's solo album. And uh, like I said, I think Kurt plays guitar on it. Yeah. Um, provides some backing vocals as well. So uh, yeah, let's uh, check it out. Don't like all of his stuff, but um, I do think he has a great voice and he has yeah. done very, very cool things as well. Uh, Screaming Trees is one of my favorite grunge bands, yeah, for sure. so to speak. So um, the world has lost him too soon. He was one of the uh, 
unlikely survivors, <laughs> I guess, yeah. of that period. And then you sort of expect somebody like that to uh, to be here forever, and especially because he was still musically so active. So yeah, it's quite a loss. Yeah, and as he aged, his voice only got grittier and lower and deeper, I think. And that that really added something extra. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, the biggest uh, tragedy and loss is, of course, for his family and loved ones and and friends. But uh, yeah, we as music fans um, also lose something. uh, um, And it's very, very weird and sad to see that pretty much one after the other front man from the band from that time and that uh, place... Yeah, unfortunately, all die too soon. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a it's, pretty uh, long and sad list. It's almost like Eddie Vedder is like now the, the sole survivor, something like that. Yeah, I guess so. Well, and Dave, I guess. Yeah, but, of course, yeah. but he wasn't the singer then. Yeah, no. and and some of the well, most of the female singers from the yep. from that era, of course. Yeah, they're still yeah. there, but it's it's weird, and especially that yeah that that's still going is uh, is sad. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Yeah. Um, I had to think about it a bit more after I received another piece of news, <laughs> which is that uh, Chris Novoselic started a new project. Yeah. You could only s- describe as a grunge supergroup. Yeah, for sure. Because he started a new band with uh, Kim Thiel from Soundgarden, Matt Cameron, who's now the drummer of Pearl Jam, and he yep. was the drummer of Soundgarden, Soundgarden. in the past. Yep. Baba Dupree, the guitarist for Void. I must say, I don't know Void that well. So me I neither. I mean, I I know of them, but I can't say I'm I'm very much into their music. So yeah, not sure. Um, and they have uh, chosen two female vocalists, one of which is a uh, Gillian Ray, uh, who also works with Chris in uh, Giants of the Trees, and Jennifer Johnson. And the album only dropped like yesterday, I think. Yeah. At the moment yeah. of, of of recording, they're called uh, Third Secret. Um, and their debut album uh, is produced by Jack and Dino. Yeah. Who, of course, we all knew of, like, he's one of the godfathers of grunge, produced pretty much all of those bands, uh, including Nirvana, obviously. Uh, I thought it was really cool that he was involved and that they thought, oh, we have to go back to him yeah. and let, let let him do it. How do you like the album? I I enjoyed listening to it. I mean, like you said, it's it's only been released for a day or so, so I I haven't had time to really reflect on it. I think there's a couple of really nice songs on there. For me, it's it suffers a bit from some of the other projects that Chris did and and some of the others as well. By the way, nothing really sticks out. Like I said, I've only listened to it twice, so. That might happen <laughs> when yeah. I, uh, but it doesn't have like that standout I, song. Exactly no. that hit single or that. It's definitely well produced. I like the the, the balance of the, the the songs and the the, the instruments and and the voices and um, that definitely has a really nice uh, nice feel to it that I really enjoyed. What really struck me is that it's like a combination of two styles or maybe not always a combination but uh, uh, it, it varies between two styles and you can really hear it in like the first two songs yeah so um if you're interested check out the first two songs and you know exactly what to expect from the rest of the album yeah for sure uh, because it opens with uh, a rhythm of the ride yeah it sounds sounds like this and i found the secret hidden in the stars stay strong my love And I used to think that If the world around me changed I'd get a brand new star 
can imagine that not something that a lot of people would expect from a grunge supergroup. No. Because it's very uh, folky and uh, acoustic yeah. song. And Sa- there, sounds, there's quite a lot of them on, yeah. the, on the album. Sounds a bit more like previous work that Chris did. Yeah. Um, for sure. More Americana. Which I like, by the way. I, I, don't, have, I don't have anything against no. it. Uh, but there's also some vintage uh, grunge uh, <laughs> yeah. guitar work on it. I, th- I think mainly due to Kim Thiel. Yeah. Um, and you can uh, directly hear it when you skip this track. You go to the second track of the album called uh, I Chose Me. And then this is what you hear. Be so grunge sound <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah I, I think they it could have sounded a bit more a bit heavier though yeah. but that also i think has to do with the vocalists because i think although they're great singers it's also quite beautiful and tasteful i guess yeah. what they're doing they're not screaming no no and i think for me that's a slight disconnect i would have liked it if it was a bit rough around the edges in the yeah, singing yeah yep. me too yeah um, a bit more powerful especially yep. uh, especially in songs like these yeah and I, I just couldn't help thinking about what if somebody like mark lanigan would have been yeah. the singer of yep. this, or courtney love maybe oh yeah yeah or, for sure um, chris cornell which would have been an obvious pick yep. of course if he was still with us yeah and uh, it's not fair to compare these singers to them but i just Kinda can't help. Yeah, doing it. yeah. <laughs> I had the same, and and like I said, um, I think the singers are are really great singers. It's just the match with the music that doesn't work for me. No, no, no. I've got the same feeling. Uh, on the other hand, I think it's so cool that they are still out there, still producing music yeah. and doing their thing. And it strikes me that um, so many of those bands from the ni- uh, late 80s, early 90s in Seattle do projects with each other. Yeah. Like, of course, A Temple with a Dog and Mad Season and now this one. Yeah, I think it says something about the connection they felt with each other and how, yeah, there was a lot of like kinship and, and friendships between the different bands, not a lot of rivalry or animosity or something like that. And I think no. that's very, uh, very nice. Yep, and, and the creativity that is obviously still there between them where they all say, hey, let's do something together and actually record it. I yeah. think that's amazing. Yeah, same here. Yeah, that, But that doesn't say that I'm a I'm the biggest fan of the album. But uh, if, if Third Secret would go on tour and come to the to the Netherlands, I would probably want to see their show. Yeah. But yeah. I would also be hoping that they would play some of the songs <laughs> of their former bands. Yeah. That's kind of how I feel about it. But uh, 
in the end, it's just great that they are still, you know, are, are going and creating new stuff and yeah. they don't just stick to, oh, let's make more grungy stuff, but also, uh, yeah, expand their horizons, so to yeah. speak. Oh, one last thing before we go to our uh, <laughs> main topic. <laughs> we keep stalling. <laughs> yeah, we keep stalling. No, but um, this is just a really quick thing because there's not that much to say about is that there's actually going to be a opera. From the Royal Opera House uh, in London in October, they are going to um, perform a um, show called Last Days, yep. based on the Gus Van Sant movie Last Days, uh, which is um, based on Kurt's Last Days, or at least how he imagined them to be, right? Yeah, the movie is is Gus Van Sant's interpretation of right. how that could have been. So yeah. it's not it's not a Kurt Cobain biopic. No, because the yeah. singer is called Blake. Yep. I think. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's. But it's very obviously based on Kurt's exactly. story. And uh, um, yeah, so now there's going to be an opera. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, yeah, but we can't expect any opera versions of Nirvana songs or anything like that, I assume. But it's, it's a new modern composer who is composing this. And um, quite obviously, if they base themselves on last days, it does mean that, again, it's not officially about Kurt and they would, of course, also never get the right. So, like, the opera form is, in this case, more a dramatic storytelling device than that it's about the music, which yeah, will right. be interesting, though, because if you make an opera about a musician, then I will be very interested to see how they will convey in the opera that it is a musician. So yeah. is this person actually going to make music himself or is it just his story sang through? Yeah. No idea? No. Uh, I hope one day we're going to find out because that means that at least one of us got to see the, <laughs> yep. the, the show. Uh, I think, uh, yeah, the chances are that uh, you are the one, but uh, I'm uh, thinking about uh, um, um, going with my wife a weekend to London and then see if we can make it coincide with the performance <laughs> and uh, and check that out. That I, uh, uh, I already cool. saw that the weekend I am in London is the weekend that they're doing their first oh. preview. So, so you as must soon go out as, for the uh, sake of the podcast. Exactly. As soon as ticket sales start, I'll, uh, I'll get a ticket. Yeah, m- maybe if all the people who chipped in for the guitar. Oh, yeah. If, if, if you could chip in just a bit more, <laughs> then we can send Yudicia to the opera house yeah. and she can tell us all about it. <laughs> yeah. By the way, have you ever seen the play uh, Macbain? No. It's from a Dutch uh, theater company, uh, Dood Paard, mm-hmm. which means oh, yeah, Dead yeah. Horse. Uh, <laughs> I know them. Uh, I suppose you're familiar with them. Yes. Um, yeah, they made... Um, a uh, play which combines Kurt Cobain and Macbeth. Oh, it wow, was I missed that. <laughs> very weird, as I think most of our productions are very yes, weird yeah. and, and interesting as well. Hmm. And uh, yeah, I thought it just came to mind that I actually went there and <laughs> that it's cool to see how Kurt now sort of is like a modern myth and yeah. people can use it in operas and in plays and stuff like that as well as an yeah, inspiration and not just one-on-one tell his story, but use him as like a, a figure. Yeah. yeah, that's definitely interesting. Yeah. Anyway, we're getting <laughs> we're getting to the meat, <laughs> the main dish. Yeah, it may sound a bit weird, but it's a segue into that. Let's first discuss uh, the uh, 30th anniversary release of Nevermind. <laughs> we keep getting segued into something that, that is still not happening. Yeah, there's always <laughs> something in the way. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> but um, when we uh, ended our um, official podcast series, 
we knew that that release was coming up. Yep. So I think we talked a little bit about yeah, what we, we could expect it. from yeah. it. But now it's actually here. Yep. And um, I think most people are pretty disappointed by it. From what I've read about it is that, yeah, people don't really see the point in it. Um, no, I mean, have, have you bought it? I haven't bought it. No, no, me neither, which I think already says something because I tend to buy a lot of those things. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. But in, in, in this case, the, the 20th anniversary release is way more interesting yep. and has way more to offer For because sure. this one is a remastered version of the original Nevermind album and a couple of live shows. Yeah, it's nice that they added the live shows, sort of the full live shows, full between brackets. <laughs> yeah. But at least having like having having proper live shows from beginning to end instead of bits and bobs spread throughout other um, releases. So I think that is nice. The DVD of the Paradiso obviously is nice, but it still it still feels like it's cobbled together, especially when you think about other artists and the states releasing stuff. That feels more like the collector's item you really want to get yeah. and display in your house. And in this yeah. case, I don't feel the need to buy it and display it in my house, I guess. Although you get like a, a photo book. Uh, you can also buy a version that comes with a photo book, I yeah. believe, which is something you could put up yeah, on display. And, and that's like nice. That. That's but nice. the music itself, I'm not too excited about it. I mean, it's nice to have. and yeah. But but for me, having it on a streaming service as, a, as Spotify... That, that's enough. I can yep. put it on when I'm driving in my car or something yep. like that. And then it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's okay. It's nice. Yeah, it's, um, it's, But from the uh, Amsterdam show, we already had a good quality yep. bootleg. So yep. it, it doesn't really add anything. It also feels like I don't really know who the audience is for this. Because I think that for younger people getting to know Nirvana, this is too big and too expensive to buy. And right. for people like us, there is not enough extra in there. No. So it's like for the super fan who just wants to have their collection complete yep. and has <laughs> some money to spare, <laughs> yep. uh, I, I, I guess. Also, I think the quality isn't all that great. No. And I think um, there are some very strong clues that some of the recordings they took from uh, bootleg recordings that yep. were already out there. So I'd like to uh, present uh, Exhibit A, <laughs> <laughs> which is from the live show uh, in Tokyo that's uh, included uh, with the release. Here's um, the uh, bootleg version that was out for qu quite some time. You could find it uh, if you knew where to look. And please pay very close attention uh, what happens right after the line, the finest day that I ever had. Okay, here we go. You, you got it, right? Yes. It, 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 it skips, skips like a yep. nanosecond or something. Yep. And that was from a, a bootleg yep. recording. So you can say, well, uh, it, it, it happens. But here's the official um, release. It's the exact same thing. Yeah. And it it's sound quality wise, it sounds like they put a bit of reverb on it and that that's it yeah possibly seems pretty obvious to me that they uh just took the a, a bootleg and, yeah. and because 
the bands themselves didn't play it like that. No, that is it, it's like a glitch in the recording. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. so you, you can't do that. Yeah, um, there's something else that's really, really weird because some songs of the, these live shows had already been released on the uh, uh, Muddy Banks uh, yeah. live album, which is a, yes. a, a compilation album. So now you get the complete yeah. show, which, which is good. Yeah, which is good, of course. But there is some strange differences between them. I remember when I uh, found out about this, I texted you, please uh, check out uh, the songs from the Del Mar show on both the uh, Muddy Banks version and the uh, complete show anniversary release. And you immediately texted back, that's weird. It's in a different key. Yes. Uh, which it is. Uh, and I did some digging online and somebody came up with the suggestion that they probably um, used a tape for the re-release and played it too fast, mm -hmm. which will make the pitch go up. Yeah. So that's that explains it. To put this theory to the test, I lined up both uh, recordings together. Nice. So what you're going to hear is um, uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit. First, the two versions almost lining up together mm -hmm. and then uh, varying from one to the other. And then after uh, a while, you can hear that they are not lining up again anymore. Wow. So one is going is actually going faster than the other one. This is going to be a lot of uh, annoying noise. <laughs> yes, so prepare yourself. Hey, if you're listening to a Nirvana podcast every now and then, there's, there's going to be some annoying noise. <laughs> One thing that gives me stomach aches, it's two different kinds of music played together. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for this. But it's the exact same song from the exact same live show. Wow. And both officially released. This is so weird because now listening to it like this, you can definitely hear that it's not just the key, but it is the speed as well. Yeah, absolutely. But there, it's more than that. There's there's other weird stuff going, going around in there as well. The sound quality is extremely different, yeah. which is also weird. I mean, I get that when you do live recordings that there can be different qualities, but it's headache-inducing. Also, just you're sort of get to that point where it's like okay but which one of these is like 
closest to the real life experience. That I, makes I, I it feel annoying. like it's probably the, the slower version, the yeah. Muddy Banks version, yeah. that sounds the most natural to me. Yeah. And they already played the song pretty fast. Exactly, yeah. So they always did that live. And, and, and in even speeding it up, yeah, that sounds a bit, bit off to me, especially yeah. when you hear them um, back to back. Uh, yeah, and, for and, sure. And back and forth. Um, so uh, I think that's it. And uh, again, I looked online a bit what people had to say about it. And uh, a lot of people thought, well, this is probably because they used an inferior quality on the tape and then just played it a bit too fast. Yep. Apparently that can happen with a, a tape. What annoys me the most is the fact that either nobody noticed no. or nobody cared about it. I mean, this can happen, but I think this comes back to what I said, like... You want a quality product that gives you more than just a couple of CDs. This could have just been in the liner notes. If they made like a beautiful, nice booklet with, I don't know, like background stories on all of the life uh, moments from people who were there. And then you could actually mention something like this. You could be like, hey, listen, this, uh, this one, if you listen to it, it's different from the Money Banks. Um, and that's for this and this and this reason, yeah. because it's been so, so long ago and we found this tape and this tape is better, but it sounds different, but we did decide to include it here. It's also like music archival stuff yeah. that can be really interesting. Yeah, but it, this very much feels like just throw it on and exactly. put it out. And, yeah. and what really puzzles me is apparently they had a better recording of this, which they already used and then... They decided not to use it again. No. How does that work? Maybe not everything was on that recording. So they decided to go Possible. for the one that had everything. But then again, it's, yeah, it's really weird. It's it's strange. And it, uh, yeah, like I said, it gives me the feeling that they weren't really invested in putting out no. the best product possible. No. And now we have finally arrived <laughs> at, uh, at our main topic, which is bootlegs in general, and yep. also uh, the uh, Outsesticide bootleg series uh, specifically. Uh, for m maybe some younger listeners uh, who m might have missed it, bootlegs are like um, internet leaks, but on a CD. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> because um, it's, it's unofficial releases and um, of stuff that people somehow obtained and um, put it on CDs and, and, and put out them illegally and, and, and made, made some money off of it. Uh, and and on cassettes even. On cassettes I, even. I, I was um, getting through some of my old like um, uh, stuff at home from concerts and stuff like that. And I found in a um, 1989, no, 88 tour book from U2. I used to keep everything, so every folder and stuff is in there. There was this leaflet that I I remember got getting after the show, and people would be outside at the concert handing out leaflets like, "Do you want a bootleg of this concert? This is the address. If you send an envelope, and it wasn't to an email address. No, no, this is a real address. Send an envelope to this address. Put an amount of money in there." fill out this form with your name and address and put it in there as well. And then we will send you a cassette tape with the bootleg to your house. And that was how it was done, dear young people, before <laughs> the internet existed. Of course, they probably did it to make a buck, but I yeah. think 
some of it was also for the love of it. I exactly. Think. And, and, and maybe- it wasn't always that expensive either. I, I can remember it wasn't like you had to pay loads of money for bootlegs. I, I, we had this in Amsterdam, we had this like flea market where there was this guy who sold bootleg cassettes, bought a lot of print stuff there. <laughs> um, and that was just a, a couple of guilders. It wasn't like he was trying to make lots of money. He just loved distributing uh, stuff. <laughs> hardly anybody listen uh, will, will get an idea from that where you say uh, a couple of guilders. <laughs> <laughs> no, just uh, <laughs> that was before the Euro. <laughs> yeah, we're not going to get into that. But they... The bootleggers, I think, they played a very uh, important role in preserving the legacy. Yes, for sure. By taping all those uh, live shows, uh, but also by somehow getting very obscure recordings in in their hands. Yep. And and later on, when people started to see the value of that, it's really good that we still have it. I mean, um, yeah. I think the best example from the Nirvana catalog is Blandest, yeah. which they recorded as a B-side for the first single, um, decided not to use it. I think they even told uh, Jack and Dino, the producer, to uh, erase the tape, which he did. But one of the cassette copies he already made somehow found its way to a bootlegger. Yep. And that's how they found it back and were able to still um, put it out to the audience. So I think that's very, very cool. And it really um, yeah, stresses the importance that they can have. Yeah, for sure. What also I think is very intriguing, because I don't know anything about it, is how do they get recordings like that yeah. L- live shows i get they can record it themselves maybe uh, uh you use uh, like a portable recording device yeah. or uh make a deal with this with the sound uh, with the sound guy or, or something like that i i get that but sometimes it's home demos yeah how on earth did they get a, yeah I a, had, a home demo I or, no or idea. even a studio i get because there's always like an assistant or an intern or a cleaning person who might think like, okay, I see this tape here and uh, let me just make a copy or uh, I get that. But like you said, home demos, that is like on a whole different level. And that is probably just somebody getting a copy of that home demo um, and then forgetting about it and then somebody else finding it and then making its way to a bootlegger. I have no idea. No, but but it it happened like all the time. Yeah. It's it's very very and fascinating. Some, and, and sometimes people leak it themselves, though. That also happens, like true. artists themselves. But I think well, you 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 use the word leaking, so I think that's what happens now on the internet. It's yeah. Very very easy. I can't imagine Kurt slipping bootleggers um, copies of his home demos because he no. he kind of was annoyed by it. Yep. He he complained about them. I think in one of the biographies, there's a scene in which. Uh, Kurt and Courtney go to a record store and oh, yeah. scream at the owner because he sold Nirvana bootlegs and then yeah. they wanted to confiscate all of uh, all of them, something like that. Yeah. But at the same time, he was a big music fan and he owned a lot of bootleg records himself. <laughs> exactly. So that, was- that is also interesting, the, the fact that you mentioned that, that record stores even used to sometimes sell them. There's, there's like almost official looking LPs and CDs that have bootlegs on them that are in actual record stores that you can buy. I think nowadays it's much harder, but until like, I think 15 years ago, that was definitely the case. And now we come to the reason why this is our topic of uh, today's (laughs) episode, which is that uh, I saw to my big surprise a couple of weeks ago, a tweet from uh, the live uh, nirvana.com guys that there is a new outsesticide bootleg 
release. Yeah. For those of you who don't know, Outsesticide was a pretty legendary Nirvana bootleg collection. I think there were like five at first. Yeah. And then a couple of more of them followed, perhaps made by other other people. It's yeah. very, very sketchy. <laughs> it's unclear. It's very unclear. And where this one came from was also very unclear. Yeah. You can just, I mean, we can we can put something out and call it Outsesticide. And, and yeah. True. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think this was made by somebody else. Yeah. But it was fun that they used the Outsesticide name. Yeah. And they actually, uh, and they called it Outsesticide uh, Resurrection. And they made some artwork for it. Yeah. And they made a nice CD. I have no idea why you can get it. <laughs> no. Because that's not how the world works anymore. No. But uh, at least somebody <laughs> went through all the <laughs> trouble to at least make it seem like there was a new Outsesticide yeah. CD. Uh, but... More interesting is that there's some really cool stuff on that. How long has it been since the previous Outsist Society? That is a long time ago. Yeah, that's a long time yeah. ago. Yeah, we've, we've had some major uh, leaks on the internet. Uh, the Elmo collection came out uh, yeah. at, at, at one point, which is some really uh, good stuff on it. But but now we have this one. Yeah. Last time I checked, it was on YouTube. So if you're interested, you can you can find it there. Um, and we're just going to cherry pick from it uh, yeah. just, just a bit. <laughs> Let's start off with uh, Mr. Mustache. It's a soundboard recording, like we said. Sometimes they just could plug their recording device into the soundboard and get a really good quality of it. Yeah. And it's from uh, Utrecht, 1989. And I thought we had to select it because, first of all, it's a nice song and it sounds good. And second of all, it was recorded in the Netherlands. Yes. Yay! <laughs> One extra reason why I wanted to uh, share the song is that I quite recently learned how to play this on a guitar. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, a, it's a fun like finger exercise. Uh, yeah, it's, it is it. quite fast. So, but this this version is is worthwhile the the entire new access aside just for this one because it's we've never heard this song play live so well. It's like no, I don't amazing. Think so. no. No. They didn't play it live very often. No. And I think it uh, adds a bit of punchiness and, and, and energy yeah. uh, compared to the studio version. Yeah, for so, sure. Uh, yeah, I think it's pretty uh, pretty good. Um, second is a uh, instrumental track from their cover of the Wiper song Return of the Red. Uh, let's have a listen first. And then after that, I would like to ask you to explain why you put this one on the list. <laughs> Oh, 
It's great, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> it sounds nice. Sure. Yeah. One of the reasons I, I, I wanted to listen to a snippet of this is Nirvana to a lot of people always sounds like a bit of a, a messy kind of band, yeah. sound wise, yeah. uh, which also has to do with the way Kurt is singing. It's not always perfect in, in time and, and rhythm and whatever, which is totally fine. But then you hear this. And it's so tight. It's amazing. It's like it's the same band. I mean, you can hear they're having fun with a song that they like. And they just are really tightly into it and, and almost as if they're sort of competing like, okay, can we, how close can we stay together with this? And uh, yeah, I love that. And yeah, it's, it's impressive, uh, especially if you know that this was like something they pretty much came up with on the spot yep. because they wanted to contribute another Wipers song yep. for the Wipers tribute collection. Um, they weren't allowed to do that. No. So <laughs> then they had to record another one and just pick this one. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure they rehearsed it a couple of times, but it wasn't like something that they were really focused on no. or were really well prepared. It took a lot of shots at before getting it exactly right. It was pretty, pretty fast recorded. And it, like you said, it sounds really tight and, and, and well-performed. It oozes joy as well. I mean, listening to this, you can sort of picture them playing it and be like, yes, we've got it, we've got it. <laughs> yeah, like we, we locked into each other. Yeah. Okay, Okay. so uh, let's move on to uh, another gem from the uh, Outsesticide 2022 uh, release, uh, which is a live recording of Where Did You Sleep last night with a full band, Electric, uh, in Switzerland. Let's go. Absolutely love this. <laughs> I mean, we, we've got quite a lot of uh, recordings of um, the band playing this song, yep. or Kurt playing it on his own, or um, he, he recorded it with uh, the um, session with Mark Lanigan yep. that we uh, talked about in the beginning of this uh, podcast. But I've never heard them do it like this. No, <laughs> it was always more introvert, acoustically done, and yep. now all of a sudden, a recording shows up of them playing it. Yeah. In a total different way, and it it, it works. It works. Um, I have no idea what he's singing, <laughs> which I like here because he has this. Like, he, he was singing. Where did you sleep last night? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but all of a sudden there's like additional verses and yeah. head being found in a garbage can, and I I love. It. I mean, yeah, but he, he used that line yeah, yeah, more yeah. often. I, I I'm I guessing know. it's from the original. Yeah, there's, there's, um, um, as with a lot of folk songs, there are many different verses. Uh, I mean, this, this song is, I mean, 
it's where they just sleep last night, but In the Pines is another title. Right. Um, and uh, My Girl is also a title. There's a lot of different yeah, versions. And, and there's older version in which uh, it is a black girl, I yeah, think. Yeah, black girl. Which now is something that's probably not <laughs> being sung uh, a lot anymore no, although, for obvious reasons. Although it probably... Um, but now I'm getting into folk terrain, but uh, probably black didn't mean black as in being a person of color, but had other meanings. But oh, right. to explain that, that would take like another 15 minutes <laughs> yeah. out of this. Uh, but yeah, the the fact that he's singing these lines here, I mean, it's so funny as well, because it's the, the lines that you that you get that you wouldn't do in like the unplugged version because they're more out there for some reason. So it's it's nice to hear him sing those in this version because it sort of fits the way he's doing it. Yeah, and he's making a nice variation on the vocal melody, yep. uh, even s- singing the chorus differently. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So uh, yeah, it's really, really good. Yep. And it really proves that this was absolutely one of his favorite songs. Yeah. They'd been kicking it around for so many years before their famous unplugged um, rendition of yeah, it. Yeah, for sure. He's a bit out of tune, but I'll forgive him. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's a great find. For sure, for sure. This is And this again, is thank one... you, yeah. bootlegger people, that somehow you yeah. either recorded this or dug it up again and, and shared it with everybody. We talked about the, the Nevermind anniversary, and I think the contrast couldn't be bigger. This is the kind of stuff that makes you happy as a fan to have. It's so remarkable that bootleggers can come up with it, can yeah. find it, can put it out to the world, and the professionals can't. No. It, it, it must be a lack of effort. I can't yeah. it's the draw only... any other conclusions no. because... Um, well, like we've seen before, um, they don't shy away from taking the bootleg recordings no. and actually taking them back, and rightfully so because yeah, of course. they have they, they own the rights to it. Yeah. So why so why shouldn't they? Exactly. But they at least then do something off. with it. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't, don't be lazy. <laughs> um, the last one uh, that's on our list is um, another example of that, which I think is is amazing. It's the rehearsal version of uh, Oh Me. From that uh, famous Unplugged show. Yep. Quite recently, we had an anniversary edition of the Unplugged release. Yeah, that's true. This one isn't on there. No. But it existed because now we have it. Yeah. So again, the professionals can't find it or didn't decided not to use it, which yeah. I think is very unlikely yeah. because they use pretty much everything that they can find. Exactly. And also, you know that this... I mean, even before we heard it here on Out Sets Aside... Um, you know it has to be somewhere because it was all recorded by MTV in a professional way. Of course, they would have had a tape running during rehearsals. Yeah, but why hasn't it? It wasn't no. on the on the DVD with no. the with the bonus stuff. And no. Nowhere to be found. It's it's a mystery to me, yes. and that's also why I'm a bit intrigued by it. It's yep. not even the the version of the song itself because I think the final version from the actual show is much better. Yeah. But still, it's it's interesting to hear. And yeah, the story behind it is really fascinating to me. Anyway, let's have a listen. If I had to lose a mile If I had to touch feeling I would lose my soul The way I do 
I don't have to think I only have to do it The results are always perfect But that's all news Would you like to hear my voice Sprinkle with emotion Invented at your birth I can't see I, I can't imagine that uh, for the anniversary edition they had this lying around and said, no, let's, let's not put it on there. No. So I see absolutely no reason why not to include it. No, me neither. And I think... I mean, you can hear it's a rehearsal because it's, let's say, too relaxed, I yeah, guess. Yeah, it's a bit un- unfocused. A bit unfocused. At the talking same time, in the background. Yeah, but at the same time, I think Kurt sounds really good here. So, I mean, that, that could have been a reason to include it. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, once again, thank you, uh, bootleggers, <laughs> yes. because now we now now we have it. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, I think this is one of the biggest gems from the Outsesticide uh, release. Yeah. I'm 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 not excited about all of the stuff because some recordings that are on there we already had, and now they say, yeah, but this is a better quality, which might be so, but sometimes that's even hard to hear. Not all of them feel like it's really an improvement. Um, on the other hand. That's the nice thing of a bootleg. Like if you have it and you think it adds something, then yeah, let's put it out there. Why not? Yeah, yeah, yeah they're absolutely, uh, absolutely right. So I mean, I'm not complaining about the acoustic home demo of old age that's on there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so maybe the old age podcast will finally. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Although I don't think that one is different from the one that we already got no. from the. Um, Montage of Hack no, CD, no, right? No, it's the same. As far as I can hear and as far as what I've read, it's the same. But it does feel like it belongs on, on this track list just because it's never been officially out and it's nice here. So. Well, it has been because it was on the... Um yeah, on the but yeah, yeah, but montage of heck is different from because it's a yeah. solo album, exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah. Personally, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, you're right. I, I wanted to make the case that if it's already been officially released, you can't put it on a bootleg anymore. But then again, uh, at the beginning uh, when we talked about Mark Lennigan, and they just took the song with Kurt from his solo album yeah. and put it on a bootleg as exactly. well. So that's the same. <laughs> that's the same thing. So. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, you could really easily have cornered me there. <laughs> um, right. So uh, I think we went through a lot of topics and luckily a lot of songs. Yep. Is there anything that you'd like to share or discuss or add or correct? No, I just, I, I really hope that if there is more stuff like this out there that we will get to hear it sometime in the future. That would be great. And it would be even better if it's on an official <laughs> release. Yeah, yeah. That is nice and proper. And uh, But if if not, yeah, thank you, bootleggers. For, uh, <laughs> yeah, K- keep it coming. Yeah. And yeah, keep keep the leaks going. Although at one point, of course, it's it's done. Yeah, like it has, the well has dried up. And yeah. uh, I think we're not going to get major surprises anymore. But then again, I thought that a couple of weeks ago as well. And well, I think... Like we said, there are some really good things on this uh, Outsesticide Resurrection release. So yeah. who knows? Who knows? Uh, and, w- and when it came out, I kind of scrolled through my collection of <laughs> Outsesticide uh, files. I have them uh, digitally 
not on a physical CD. And uh, I came across one of the songs that when I heard it back in the day, I thought, what is this? Why <laughs> is this on a Nirvana CD? I don't, I don't really believe that it's actually <laughs> the real thing. Okay. Maybe that also had to do because I, I once uh, accidentally bought a fake bootleg CD called uh, Kurt Cobain, The Home Rehearsals, I think. Right, okay. <laughs> and it's just a guy or girl, <laughs> not Kurt Cobain, <laughs> playing random Nirvana riffs on an electric guitar. Oh, wow. And then <laughs> put it on a CD. It's now officially confirmed as, as, as a fake. <laughs> so I was very uh, disappointed uh, by that when, uh, when after uh, a full day of uh, walking at a um, CD market, like a traveling CD market. Yep really thinking way too hard about <laughs> where am I going to spend my money on what Nirvana Aww. bootleg? And then I came out, came home with this one and was totally disappointed. <laughs> so, yeah. But I, um, that's not what I wanted to say. I want to say that uh, there was also a song on there, uh, on another Outsesticide um, release, which really had me puzzled. And I think it's one of the few Nirvana songs that we have never played on the yeah. podcast. On the bootleg, it's called Black and White Blues. It's right. very un-Nirvana-y. Yeah, I thought it was a, would be a nice uh, thing uh, to close this episode. But not before uh, thanking you for coming back and <laughs> do this bonus episode. Yes. We might do it again someday. We might not. Uh, Who knows? It depends on uh, on uh, how many bootlegs are going <laughs> to uh, get out there and uh, how many operas. Uh, yeah. Or how many Batman movies. Oh, yeah. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I uh, really want to thank you for uh, doing this with me uh, Again, uh, of course, uh, I want to thank uh, Nirvana Piano for providing our uh, theme music. Yes. And uh, I want to thank everybody out there listening. Thanks a lot. Don't uh, kick us from your uh, subscription <laughs> list yet because we might be back. And um, bye. <laughs> <laughs> bye. <laughs> <laughs>